Good afternoon and welcome. Thanks for being with us. It's Midday. I'm Tom Hall. We begin today with the Midday News Wrap. You may have heard that Justice Sandra Day O'Connor, the first woman appointed to serve on the Supreme Court, died this morning at her home in Phoenix, Arizona. President Ronald Reagan appointed O'Connor to the court in 1981. She served for 24 years. Five years ago, Justice O'Connor announced that she had been diagnosed with dementia and Alzheimer's disease and that she was withdrawing from public life. Sandra Day O'Connor was 93 years old. Former Secretary of State Henry Kissinger died this week at the age of 100. And First Lady Rosalind Carter, who passed away on November 19th, was laid to rest this week as well. She was 96 years old. Her husband and soulmate of 77 years, President Jimmy Carter, attended both the public and private memorial services for his wife. The former president is 99 and in hospice. The House of Representatives in Washington voted this morning to expel Representative George Santos from Long Island, New York. The vote was 311 to 114. Santos is the sixth member of the House to be expelled in history and the third in modern times. And speaking of Congress, State Senator Clarence Lamb became the fifth member of the Maryland General Assembly to announce that he's running for the third congressional district seat that's being vacated with the retirement of Congressman John Sarbane. So that crowded field just got a little more crowded today. And last week, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit in Richmond, Virginia, declared that a Maryland law regarding licensing requirements for handguns was unconstitutional. That law had been on the books for 10 years. On the same day, a judge in Oregon struck down a law that had been approved by voters in a ballot initiative in 2022, finding that it was in violation of the state constitution. That measure would have prohibited high-capacity magazines and required background checks and training to obtain gun permits. So what are these rulings presage for gun regulations moving forward in light of the Supreme Court's determination in the Bruin case last year, which limits the ways in which government can impose restrictions on guns? My guest is Eric Tershwell. He's the executive director and chief litigation counsel of Everytown Law, an organization of lawyers who work to enhance gun safety. He joins us on Zoom from New York. Eric, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. So um, uh, if you wouldn't mind, give us a little uh, thumbnail sketch of the Bruin decision that was uh, handed down in June of last year, so about a year and a half ago. Uh, what did the Bruin decision change uh, and when it comes to gun regulations? So um, about a year and a half ago, as you say, the Supreme Court issued what what we believe was a dangerous and misguided ruling. Um, that's the Bruin case. Um, the court struck down the centerpiece of New York's concealed carry law, a, book, a law that had been on the books for more than 100 years. And as you referenced, Bruin changed the rules for how judges evaluate gun safety laws in court challenges going forward. They effectively threw out the rule book that had been used by judges for years and they severely limited the role of public safety in the analysis. And before the Supreme Court's decision in Bruin, judges would evaluate gun safety laws through two lenses. Is the law effective at reducing gun violence? And is the law consistent with constitutional text and grounded in America's historical tradition of firearm regulation? 
Now, after Bruin, public safety has a much more limited role. And what we're seeing is some really extreme judges striking down core gun safety laws by saying that there aren't enough matching historical gun regulations in U.S. history. And certainly last week's Fourth Circuit decision uh, falls into that category. So uh, the Fourth Circuit decision then is premised on Bruin. I mean, it takes Bruin as its uh, as its charge at this point. And, and it has to do, as you mentioned, with, you know, the tradition and history uh, of uh, guns and the Second Amendment and gun regulation in the United States. Um, what, what does that mean, the tradition of, of guns in the United States? What tradition are we talking about? Are we talking about 18th century tradition when the Constitution was composed or, or what? It's a great question. It's one of the questions that the Supreme Court didn't really answer in the, in the Bruin case. Um, certainly the court looked to the history and tradition of gun regulation at and around the time of the founding, so the late 1700s, early 1800s. But they also looked at evidence of history and tradition after that, at the time uh, of Reconstruction and uh, at the time of the passage of the 14th Amendment, which made the Second Amendment applicable to the states. Um, So that is one of the questions that uh, courts around the country are struggling with. Um, And I think what's so uh, uh, sort of stark about this Fourth Circuit decision last week, striking down uh, Maryland's, as you mentioned, 10-year-old permitting scheme for for, uh, pistols and handguns is that um, there's literally no mention of uh, the impact of laws like Maryland's law on public safety. And that is one of the things that uh, we're seeing more and more in the wake of Bruin, this almost exclusive focus on history going back 150 or 250 years, and the courts really just ignoring public safety. And that's particularly problematic when we're talking about the kind of law a permit to purchase law that social science shows is one of the most effective ways to reduce gun violence, including homicides, suicides, police shootings. And you, you mentioned earlier, a couple of minutes ago, the, the alarming data about increasing suicide by firearm. And this is the kind of law, the one that the Fourth Circuit struck down, that has been shown by a robust body of social science to have a very significant impact on reducing uh, deaths by firearms, suicide, homicide, and others. Yeah, some 40,000 people died of suicide in 2022. That report just came out from the CDC not too long ago. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. My guest is Eric Tershwell. He's the executive director and chief litigation counsel of Everytown Law. We're talking about the Firearm Safety Act of 2013 passed by the Maryland General Assembly that was knocked down by a recent Fourth Circuit ruling uh, based on the Bruin case. So, Eric, um, the the state has uh, two weeks, as I understand it, to ask for a review of this case. What, what do you expect will happen? Uh, is there uh, a chance that the Fourth Circuit ruling uh, could be overturned? It was a two-to-one decision. Um, what's your take on uh, what happens next? 
Absolutely. Um, there's a chance, and, and uh, as, as we look at it, um, a, a very strong chance that uh, the state will ask the full Fourth Circuit to review this divided decision um, that was issued uh, last week and will reverse. And if not, that the state will ask the U.S. Supreme Court to reverse. And we're very optimistic um, that this dangerous decision will be overturned for a number of reasons, but one of them that's, that's I think, really critical is that in the Bruin case, uh, even the conservative justices in the majority went out of their way to say that their decision did not call into question the type of licensing regime that the Fourth Circuit struck down last week, Maryland's licensing regime, which uh, we we talk about as a shall issue licensing regime, meaning if the applicant passes the background check, uh, if they complete the firearms safety training course, mm-hmm. uh, the the state is required to issue the permit. And the Supreme Court, again, even the majority, even the conservative justices went out of their way to say that permitting schemes like that, where the state doesn't have discretion about whether or not to issue the permit if these basic requirements are met are constitutional and i can read to you uh well i tell you what eric before we do that um we're having a little trouble with uh, your connection so we're going to see if we can fix that uh just very briefly here uh with the zoom connection so we have a little bit better uh fidelity and and audio but uh here in maryland according to this Firearm Safety Act of 2013. And by the way, that's a law that was passed in the wake of the Newtown shooting in Connecticut, uh, in which 20 people, uh, children and teachers, were killed by an assailant who also killed himself. So this is the Firearm Safety Act of 2013, uh, which said that uh, Marylanders uh, had to have uh, a handgun qualification license in order to rent uh, or purchase a handgun. Um, and to get that qualification license, they had to meet several criteria. They had to be, number one, Maryland residents. They had to be 21 years or older. Uh, they had to pass a firearm safety course, and they had to undergo, undergo a background check to ensure that they are not prohibited from owning a gun uh, under either state or federal law. So the Maryland State Police issue these licenses. Um, and it can take up to 30 days, I guess. And uh, Eric Tershwell, I think we have you back now with a better connection. Um, is it the, 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 the gun lobby that uh, you know, brought this suit uh, to the Fourth Circuit? Um, is it a, a, was there objection because it sometimes takes you know, three or four weeks for the, the licensing process to happen? Did they, did they think the time was the, the thing that impeded their rights to, to bear arms under the Second Amendment? Do you understand their argument uh, in any particular way? Yeah, one of their arguments uh, remarkably was because a a gun store, one or more gun stores, actually plaintiffs, in addition to some individuals, is they can't sell as many guns because people need to get permits and go through background checks and take a firearm safety class, and that that deters people. Um, and that was one of the one of the main arguments for why 
um, they should have standing to challenge this law. Um, but as I, I was uh, saying a moment ago, um, the Supreme Court in the Bruin case, and in particular, you can look at the concurring opinion by Justice Kavanaugh and Chief Justice Roberts specifically talked about licensing regimes that require fingerprinting, background checks, and training, and specifically said, and I'm quoting now, the 43 states that employ objective shall issue licensing regimes for carrying handguns for self-defense may continue to do so. And in our view, Maryland's law is from a constitutional perspective, no different than what the justices were talking about there. And so that is why we are optimistic that uh, hopefully the full Fourth Circuit or, if necessary, the Supreme Court will reverse this very dangerous decision. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, on the same day we heard about this decision from the Fourth Circuit, there was a decision in state court in Oregon, uh, also a gun regulation case. Can you tell us a little bit about that one or any other cases uh, that have you know, come down since the Bruin decision, uh, and and you know, are we seeing a trend uh, that uh, you know uh, will will likely continue? So one of the trends for sure that we're seeing after the Bruin decision is confusion and chaos among the lower courts, and what we're seeing is courts looking at the very same types of laws, looking at the same history and tradition, and coming to opposite conclusions, um, and so. While it's true that there was a decision uh, from an Oregon state court judge last week striking down a similar law, which had recently been passed through a ballot initiative in Oregon, there are also cases from a federal judge, so not a state court judge, a federal judge in Oregon who upheld that very same law um, and a state appellate court in Illinois that upheld Illinois' permitting scheme. So the, the court rulings are all over the map on some of these issues. Um, but I would highlight two, I think, very important recent developments. One is a decision from the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit. Um, so that's uh, covering Illinois and out of Chicago, uh, which issued one of the most significant post-Bruin federal appellate court decisions we've seen so far. And they upheld uh, Illinois' prohibition on assault weapons and large capacity magazines. That was just a few weeks ago. And then, of course, also several weeks ago, the Supreme Court itself heard argument in a another very dangerous post-Bruin decision uh, out of uh, Texas, the Federal Appeals Court in Texas, the Fifth Circuit, which struck down another critically important uh, gun safety law, the prohibition uh, on uh, individuals subject to domestic violence restraining orders from having guns. Um, and I think all who observed, and I was in the courtroom uh, that day, but everybody who observed that argument came away with a pretty clear view that the justices were going to reverse the Fifth Circuit, reverse this dangerous decision, uphold the prohibition as to domestic abusers, and hopefully uh, set out some further guidelines and and provide uh, additional guidance for the lower courts um, that we we hope will uh, sort of settle some of this chaos and confirm that the vast majority of gun safety laws, life-saving common sense laws are in fact consistent with the Second Amendment. 
Yeah, that's the case called United States versus Rahimi. That came down in February. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, uh, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. Um, and that, uh, at the moment, only affects uh, a few states, Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, I think. Um, so uh, what happens, in terms of the timetable for this, what happens between now and the time that the Supreme Court uh, weighs in on that? Do the, the current laws stay in effect? And, for example, here in Maryland, um, how does it work in terms of the timing uh, and enforcement uh, of that law? Can the Maryland State Police, as of today, given you know the earlier ruling just last week of the uh, the Fourth Circuit, can they still require uh, licenses? Uh, you know the the the, the restrictions on, on getting a license uh, that they had before. Do they wait until it's appealed, or does the does the law immediately go out the window? Yeah, so I, I can't really speak for what the state police are doing right at this moment. I can tell you that typically um, the the question of whether the um, court's decision takes immediate effect depends on whether there are going to be further appeals. So again, we certainly hope that uh, the uh, attorney general in Maryland will soon be filing for further review of this decision. Um, often uh, in connection with such a filing, um, the attorney general's office would ask for uh, a stay, that is to put this decision on hold while there is further court review. So that's what I would be looking for. Uh, and again, for the reasons we've talked about, and given what the Supreme Court in the Bruin case already said about licensing regimes like Maryland's, uh, I would be optimistic that uh, a, a court would issue a stay and so that this ruling would not take take effect anytime soon. But we'll have to wait and see. I mean, overall, uh, you know, you, you described this once as a game of ping pong, where one day one side wins and the next day another side, the other side wins. Um, are, are you optimistic? Are you are you generally sanguine about where things are headed? Or does the Bruin case from the Supreme Court, you know, indicate a, a, such a sharp turn to the right uh, that's going to make it very difficult to regulate uh, and, and, and impose gun safety regulations uh, in the future? So I think I think the jury is still out on exactly the sort of broader implications of the Bruin decision right now. As we talked about, um, courts are really all over the map. Um, we are optimistic that a reversal in the Rahimi case, the, the case about domestic abusers and guns, um, will put the lower courts back on uh, a trajectory that confirms again that the, the lion's share of gun safety laws around the country are constitutional. Um, but certainly the Bruin decision uh, opened the door for some of these extreme and dangerous decisions. In our view, it did not close the door to gun safety. And um, we are uh, hopeful that the Supreme Court in this Rahimi case and the decision probably comes sometime this spring will in fact confirm that. Eric Tershwell is the executive director and chief litigation counsel of Everytown Law. Thank you, Eric. I really appreciate your perspective and your uh, explaining this so clearly for us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Coming up, a conversation with members of the Poulenc Trio in advance of a concert that they're playing this weekend at the Peel Museum here in Baltimore. Irina Kaplan-Lande and Brian Young join me after a quick break. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. Stay with us. Thank you.
This is Baltimore's NPR News Station, 88.1 WYPR.